It's an ex extremely sharp pain in the temple area, one side of the head only. Um, once your cycle starts, it may last six weeks or it may last three months long, but it comes on, it's extremely sharp. Um, it's not a type of a headache where you want to go and lay down, usually um, fall to their knees, banging their heads on the floor for those 45 minutes until it ends. It's a very sharp one-sided pain and pressure behind the eye is the biggest feature. Um, people have actually gouged their eyeballs out um, during an attack um, just because you just feel like you need to do something to relieve the pressure. Nicknamed suicide headaches, so some, some people end up trying to relieve that pressure with a gun. The majority of people have very good results um, treating their cluster headaches with psychedelics. I, I would guess that around 70% of people with cluster headaches that use psychedelics usually never go back to any pharmaceuticals and just use psychedelics to treat their cluster headaches. So hopefully they'll be able to really at least cut down the number of attacks um, per day or per week, um, cut down the intensity of the attacks, um, and see some really, really good improvement, um, much better than pretty much anything else on the market that people are able to use. So what, what we found out was People with cluster headaches are living with just post-traumatic stress disorder from their yeah. cluster headaches, and they were treating that with the psychedelics without even knowing it. Mm -hmm. Like I said, um, they are they are nicknamed suicide headaches, and mm -hmm. I've lost a lot of friends over the years, um, and um, a lot of a lot of lives have been saved by psychedelics. Yeah. Um, I can count just, mine in uh, there as well. <laughs> yeah, people you know, finding something that worked. Mm -hmm. Today's episode of Chronic Paper Wired is one for the books. I had a great conversation with Bob Wold, the founder of an organization called Clusterbusters, which is an advocacy group for people suffering from cluster headaches. If you've never heard of cluster headaches before, be sure to stay tuned because it is the first thing we talk about once we get to the interview and you're going to want to hear all about this bafflingly devastating condition, which is commonly referred to as suicide headaches. But before we get to the interview, I want to tell you a little bit about Bob and Cluster Busters. Bob is 70 years old, and he was diagnosed with cluster headaches about 45 years ago, which eventually led to his founding Cluster Busters in 2002. Cluster Busters was founded upon the principles that the uh, of the need for psychedelic research proving its benefits as a safe and effective treatment for cluster headaches, which is one of the most devastatingly painful conditions known to mankind. Bob's work and accomplishments within the headache community include legislative initiatives and organizing events for the patient, patient community and medical professionals in Washington, D.C., among these successful issues have been the adoption of legislation, increased federal research funding, and testifying before the FDA for additional treatment options. Recently, after a 10-year-long advocacy effort, Bob was instrumental in getting the CMS to overturn their decision of non-coverage of oxygen as a life-saving acute treatment for cluster headaches. Getting a reversal on such a matter is super rare. This was a big accomplishment. And all it was was trying to get people to get oxygen. Absolutely crazy stuff. 
Clusterbusters' first published research of the use of psychedelics to cre treat cluster headaches was published in 2006, and it's the basic foundation and building block for the current psychedelic research into the treatment of pain disorders. Bob got Harvard to go back to psychedelics for the first time since they fired Tim Leary. In this interview, we discuss all this and so much more. Uh, the things like the challenges that him and the people at Cluster Busters have faced, the annual conference they organized, the discovery of psychedelic treatments for the disorder, and his work with the Psychedelics and Pain Association are just some of the things of these fascinating topics that we cover. Next week, I'm interviewing another founding member of the Psychedelics and Pain Association, Court Wing. He's with Remap, Remap Therapeutics. So keep a lookout for that episode in the coming weeks because Court is also a super fascinating person. You're definitely going to want to see that. If you like this kind of content and you want to help it reach even more people who can benefit from hearing it and maybe even help make a difference in how psychedelics are viewed in society for treating chronic pain disorder, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. Submit a five-star rating. Interact with me in the comments. Respond to this episode's poll if you're listening on Spotify. And please, guys, share this link on your social media channels. Every single one of those little actions helps tell the algorithm that people want to hear about this content and that it can make a difference in people's lives. So that is going to help get it out to more people. And so with all that, I hope that you enjoyed this talk I had with Bob. He is such an interesting and really just a, a great person to get to know. I hope you enjoy it, guys. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing today? Good, good, John. Good morning. Doing good. Uh, happy to be here. I'm happy to have you. Thank you for taking the time. Really appreciate it. So before we get into your story with cluster headaches and all the work you do with cluster busters and now the psychedelics and pain association, I'd love if you could just take a few minutes to explain what cluster headaches are for people who may not be familiar with it. I know I wasn't familiar with it until fairly recently. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I've spent um, yeah most of my life explaining to people what cluster headaches are because um, <laughs> most most people don't know, and um, it is a very unique um, disorder to have. Um, you know, there's about 160 different headache um, disorders that are split up. Um, cluster headaches are one of them, um, and um, they're quite different from most other headache disorders. There's a couple that are close, but um, so for 85% of the people that have cluster headaches, they have what are considered episodic clusters. Um, and some of the features of episodic clusters are what really makes it difficult to diagnose early on. Um, the, um, the attack comes on very quickly, um, usually within a minute or two. I mean, you'll get a little bit of a tingle as a precursor and within a couple of minutes, you're in a full-blown attack. Um, you go through that attack and it goes away very quickly also. Um, the identifying feature on clusters is that um, everybody kind of settles into what their cluster attacks are. They usually last around 45 minutes to an hour and a half Mine have always lasted right around 45 or 50 minutes. And every attack is going to last the exact same length of time, within a minute or two. So while you're going through it, um, if you have to happen to be walking past the clock, I mean, that's something that you're going to be watching because you're kind of on a countdown. 
Um, <clears throat> it's an ex extremely sharp pain in the temple area, one side of the head only. Um, it can switch sides from one cycle to another, but people go through what are called cycles. And um, once your cycle starts, it may last six weeks or it may last three months long. Um, but it stays the same throughout your cycle. If you're going to get three or four attacks a day, you're going to get those same attacks at the exact same times every day until your cycle ends. Um, the, um, these headaches are very much tied to the hypothalamus gland in your brain, which controls um, a lot of things um, in your biological clock um, and um, controls body temperature and, and things like that also. Um, but it comes on, it's extremely sharp. Um, it's not a type of a headache where you want to go and lay down. Laying down actually makes them worse. So people with clusters are either going to be pacing the room. Um, if they're sitting down and can stay sitting down, they'll be rocking in whatever chair they're at. Um, usually, um, fall to their knees, banging their heads on the floor for those 45 minutes until it ends. It's a very sharp one-sided pain and pressure behind the eye is the biggest feature. Um, people have actually gouged their eyeballs out um, during an attack um, just because you just feel like you need to do something to relieve the pressure. Um, they're nicknamed suicide headaches. So some, some people end up trying to relieve that pressure with a gun. Um, they're, it's very terrible. There is no cure. Um, some people end up going into a long remission, but um, there isn't anything that can put people into a, a long, you know, eight year long remission or something like that. So um, they come on usually in a person's mid twenties and last for the rest of their lifetime. Um, but there are pediatric clusters, so people can start getting them. I know people that have started when they're four or five or six years old. Oh, my um, gosh. And um, which is really a terrible thing. So and that's a, a brief overview of life with cluster headaches. And, I mean, I, I, I lived almost two decades in chronic pain and other parts of my body. I, I I can just, I can only imagine what something like that would be like though. <laughs> Head pain is different mm -hmm. than pain in other parts of the body. I mean, if you have a broken leg or something else, or um, <clears throat> you can still kind of think and, um, you know, it's not affecting your brain so much. The thought process is really affected, you know, during those attacks and then after and in between. But um, yeah, <clears throat> this type of a pain in the head has its own set of um, issues. So uh, yeah, it says, definitely sounds like it. So yeah. before we go further into your background and your work and all this type of stuff, one of the big things we're going to talk about is the application of psychedelics to cluster headaches. What what type of results do people see by uh, treating cluster headaches with psychedelics? Um, the majority of people have very good results um, treating their cluster headaches with psychedelics. Um, 
we're undertaking a very large survey right now again to go, get out to the community and gather a lot of data to see um, what's going on. But um, we're very much in touch with the cluster headache community, whether people use psychedelics or not. And it, it seems like, I, I would guess that around 70% of people with cluster headaches that use psychedelics usually never go back to any pharmaceuticals and just use psychedelics to treat their cluster headaches. And, you know, these are people that have tried 50 or 60 um, different medications over their um, lifetime trying to treat their clusters. I personally use 70 different medications in hundreds of combinations prior to finding out about psychedelics. So I'd always have um, a dozen prescriptions, you know, sitting on my dining room table waiting to be taken every day. Um, but most people have really good results. They, they vary from person to person, just like with anything else. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone is different. Everybody um, um, sees slightly different results. Um, but, you know, even if you... Um, end up, you know, being able to abort your six week long cycle in two or three weeks versus waiting the entire six weeks, or um, some people are able to completely eliminate cycles and have those cycles never start. Um, other people that are chronic, which is about 15% of the community, um, never go into remission in between their cycles. So hopefully they'll be able to really at least cut down the number of attacks um, per day or per week, um, cut down the intensity of the attacks, um, and see some really, really good improvement, um, much better than pretty much anything else on the market that people are able to use. Okay. We're going to get more into protocols and things like that in a bit for people listening, but... Um... I do want to give you guys a chance to get to know Bob a little bit too. So, uh, Bob, what, how old were you when you first got your uh, when you got your first cluster headaches? Well, I still remember the exact day and time and where I was when that happened. Um, I was in my mid twenties. Um, I recently purchased. Our, our first single family home, we had moved out of a, a condominium into a, a home that we bought. I was just starting to raise a family. I now have four kids, but when I first started, um, I only had um, three. Um, and um, yeah, I was doing fine. I was out in my backyard playing with my six-year-old son. Um, on a weekend, we were playing football and my head started to hurt and I came in and sat down and got hit with this incredible pain that I had no idea what it was. <clears throat> I was close to heading to the emergency room when it completely went away. It was like, well, what the hell was that? Right. Um, and that was my start in um, life with cluster headaches. Um, but just building my life, my family, my marriage, my kids, and a home and two cars and yeah, things changed dramatically that day. So what, what, what was, so we know what your life was like before, like what, what kind of work were you doing at that point? 
Um, well, at that point, I was a, a mechanical engineer working for a company that designed gear motors. Um, and um, so, yeah, I had a, a great job uh, going in the office every day and um, designing a lot of things from um, motors that went into slot machines to motors that went into ICBM missile launch systems. I mean, gear motors are um, used in a lot of different things, but um, so yeah, I was a, uh, in engineering at that point. Um, I ended up getting out of that and going into construction, a family business, and spent most of my life in construction, um, commercial and residential building and remodeling. And um, yeah, spent 40 years doing that. Uh, my, my first job out of college, I worked for a company that manufactured stainless steel motors. <laughs> yeah, uh, there you go. <laughs> I was an engineer as well. And yeah, not anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was very interesting. I, I was very lucky. I got a job um, at, a, at a great company. Um, a friend of my father's had started a, a engineering company and I got taken under their wing and, um, learned an awful lot and had a great career ahead of me. So how did the onset of cluster headaches affect, affect all this? Uh, well, and it your was, life in um, general. Yeah. Well, from the very beginning, I always had two cycles every year. Um, they used to be about six or eight weeks long, each cycle, one in the spring and one in the fall. They ended up um, expanding to about three months long, the exact same time in the spring and the fall. Um, I would get usually a, a couple of attacks during the day. Um, they would start becoming kind of relentless around eight or nine o'clock in the evening and then go throughout the night. Um, they would last like 45 minutes, but um, REM sleep is a common trigger for a lot of people with cluster headaches. So you'll fall asleep and within 45 minutes or an hour, you've triggered an attack and, and you're up living through that attack um, and then try to fall back asleep again. But you know what it's going to do is trigger another attack. So for many, many years, I, I would spend months never being able to sleep more than an hour at a time because it would trigger an attack, um, which just makes life in general very difficult. You know, all that sleep deprivation is um, a terrible thing to, to try to live through. Um, so it, it was very difficult holding a job. It, it's a, a difficult thing for everybody with clusters to be able to build a career and hold a job. It's one of the things that kind of isolates us because we don't want our bosses to even know what we're suffering from because we know how it can affect our attendance at work and, mm -hmm. and um, whether or not we can do our job. So a lot of people hide it not only from their families, but their friends and their, their places of business um, and um, they never like anybody seeing them go through this pain so that, you know, they feel that first twinge. And if they're at home or at a party or wherever, the first thing they're going to do is try to find some place that they can go so people can't see them going mm -hmm. through this 
awful pain. I mean, it's not something they want um, their loved ones to see. Um, it's it's uh, not a pretty sight to <clears throat> see a grown man or woman, you know, fall to their knees and trying to knock themselves out by pounding their head on the floor for 45 minutes. Um, and then try to explain to people what it is that you're going through. So, I mean, um, it's a very isolating disease. I promise we'll get back to the interview in just a few seconds. I need to let you know that on August 26, 2023, at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, you're going to be able to attend a webinar that is your chance to ask me anything about psychedelics, about chronic pain, about posture therapy, about the posture delic hypothesis, or anything else you want to ask me. And this is going to be August 26th at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Tickets are only $20. And here's the thing. There's only 20 spots available. I want to make sure that you have enough time, that I have enough time to get to everyone. There's going to be just two hours from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. $20 per ticket. 20 spots available. The links are in the episode description, on my link tree, on my social media channels. So be sure to check it out. And I could imagine that there are people who, like, don't believe that it's real because it's not, like, a well-known thing. I can imagine. I mean, I, I know I, I experienced that type it's, of thing, uh, that there there are definitely people who, who thought I was making it all up and stuff, you, you know. That, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. There's... It's, um, that fact, was, uh, it is, first of all, very true, and it was one of the driving forces that actually – um, helped us convince Harvard to help us do research on this uh, condition with psychedelics um, 20 years ago. Um, it's a good friend of mine that's in our community that um, when he had first gotten his, his clusters, and I believe he was probably in his 20s or so when this happened, um, he was in a doctor's office and going through a cluster headache attack. And the doctor told him that nobody could possibly be in that much pain. Mm -hmm. um, and he ended up being committed to a psychiatric ward against his will. The few medications that he did have that might have helped him were taken away because he was being told that nobody could actually be put through that much pain you've got to be faking it and um, so he was held in a psychiatric ward for several weeks um, trying to be you know change his mind that he's not in that kind of pain um, and it's the same it's thing like that um, a, a lot of younger people go through you know it's um, if you're 12 years old and you go, you go through cluster headaches and you're having this cluster headache attack at one o'clock in the afternoon, every day you're going to the school nurse at one o'clock in the afternoon, going through this terrible pain and the school nurse or the principal is going to be saying, so one o'clock, that's your history class. What is it that you don't want to go to history class for? Mm -hmm. it's, it's, you need to stop doing this and just decide to go to history class. Um, so, you know, features like that just make it really difficult to um, convince people that what they're going through is very, very real. Mm -hmm. um, so, it, yeah, it's um, makes people question a lot reality, of a lot of people are themselves. a lot of people. I mean, God, it's just 
I, I know somebody who started when he was that age, I believe 11 or 12. Um, his, his mother took him to every doctor she could find to try to find out what was going on. And this 12 year old boy was basically told that he had to stop faking it. And that told the, the mother that um, she needs to, to stop uh, feeding into his his actions and that he needs to just decide that he's not in pain. <laughs> so for like three years before even hearing the words cluster headaches, um, you can imagine how the, that made the mother feel. Mm -hmm. And you can imagine how that made this 12-year-old boy feel that it was all in his head. Yeah, I, I had doctors um, tell my parents the same thing. They're like, well, yeah, he broke his back, but it's fixed now. He shouldn't be in pain. And yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't have to imagine uh, it to a large extent. I, I know exactly what it's like when you got doctors telling, tell, you know, telling that this can't possibly be real. And what are the parents supposed to think? You know, I mean, it's right. God. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. A generation ago, it was even more difficult because parents and adults were taught to trust their doctors and whatever mm -hmm. it was their doctor told them. It was gospel, um, yeah. They believed, and it was gospel, and um, the doctor is the expert, and he knows, so um, stop being in pain. Mm -hmm. I, my, um, my, my mother, who died of cancer, was seeing a, a doctor that... Um, was treating, she ended up having a, um, a tumor on her knee and the doctor was treating it as a, a, a cyst rather than a cancerous tumor. So she would go in to see him like once a month having this tumor drained, mm -hmm. which they really couldn't drain it, but put her on cortisone and um, we kept on trying to convince her to go see another doctor, but she didn't want to embarrass the doctor and and tell him that he wasn't doing a good enough job mm -hmm. or she didn't trust his diagnosis. She she didn't want to embarrass the doctor by getting a second opinion. Right. And it ended up killing her because she had this tumor growing uh, inside of her for years mm -hmm. that um, it wasn't being properly treated. So that's the way people... Um, were brought up in this country anyways mm -hmm. um, a generation or more ago right. that um, the doctor's the expert and um, yeah so so when did the internet's a big part of the story about how <laughs> people found that the psychedelics were, were being effective for uh, for clusters right like what there's lots of communities yeah. built around this online from what I gather and when did it first start coming out like, hey, this might work? Yeah, well, um, that whole thing is a very interesting story. So, you know, in the very early days of the Internet, um, before there were actually even message boards, um, um, AOL was first starting getting off and um, sending their DVDs to everybody on the planet. Right, um, yeah, I remember having that. <laughs> Yeah, um, some of us went online and found um, 
chat rooms and there was a thing called news groups back in the late 90s or, or the 90s when they first getting on where people could go to a, an area and discuss whatever topic it is that that room was built for. And there, there was a, um, a migraine group that I happened to find while I was online searching for um, information on, on cluster headaches, which is what I had been diagnosed with at that point. And there was nothing at all online. And uh, Google was, I don't even think it had started yet. I mean, we're still in Netscape and things like that. But so I started out in a newsroom with like 400 migraine sufferers um, and just in there discussing headache disorders and mainly migraine. But every once in a while, somebody with cluster headaches would enter this group because it was the only place online for anybody to go to. And um, one of my friends ended up starting a message board specifically for cluster headaches. Um, which slowly was was built and people would join that. Um, and um, back in 1998, we were in this cluster headache message board um, where we would all share ideas on what it was that we were finding that might help us. Um, most of the things that were helping us were ideas that other sufferers had found, you know, gave them a little bit of relief. Um, People, there was very little that was offered by most doctors that, that could help with cluster headaches. Um, most of us would get whatever migraine treatment was out there currently, um, which rarely did any, any good at all for those of us with cluster headaches. So we were always sharing ideas. And I always tell a story, if somebody came to the board and said that I had um, spaghetti last night and I didn't have my usual eight o'clock attack. I don't know what's going on. That person and others would eat spaghetti for dinner for the next three weeks, trying to duplicate those kinds of results to see if there might be something in the tomato sauce or mm -hmm. whatever it might be. Um, so we were used to sharing ideas. And one day in 98, a young guy from Scotland came on the message board and just asked a simple question. He wanted to know if anybody thought that there was a possibility that LSD might help with cluster headaches. Um, most of the people in the group wanted to chase him away. It was like, we don't sell drugs here. We're not mm -hmm. into, we aren't looking to you know, share drugs or things like that uh, go away. Um, but a few of us um, thought about it and did a little bit of research and um, found out that um, LSD was very close on a molecular level to one of the treatments that was actually working well for people with headache disorders, which was sumatriptan. Um, and uh, people were using Imitrex injections to treat migraine and also cluster headaches. Mm -hmm. um, and then we found out that um, Dr. Hoffman, who discovered LSD, was actually working for Sandoz mm -hmm. back in the 30s and 40s, and, and headache disorders was one of the things that he was working on, and he was working with ergotamines and um, other types of um, vascular um, conditions, and discovered LSD and put it up on a shelf for 
years right, before yeah. it came back down and and he discovered um, the hallucinogenic effects of LSD but so it was actually you know headache disorders you know, were part of the discovery of LSD um, and once LSD got um, out in the public I mean it was used for um, recreational purposes but then it ended up being researched for a lot of different things oh yeah um, but um, so a few of us were intrigued by this idea that well you know maybe there's something here because when we talked to this guy he was from Scotland and like I said we always try to figure out what we might have done differently that changed things and mm-hmm. um, he always got his cycle starting in the fall and his cycle did not start at all. And so he tried to figure out what he might have been doing differently than previous years that might have changed that. And the only thing he could think of was that he had recreationally used LSD at a couple of concerts that summer. Mm-hmm. So he did a little bit of re- research. So he, he had an idea of you know um, why that may, may have been effective for him. Um, none of us could really get our hands on LSD at that point. Yeah, it was was, really difficult to obtain. Um, So we did a little bit of research and we discovered that um, um, there were actually some mushrooms that contained psilocybin that was very similar to LSD. It's Mm -hmm. sort of a, the the natural version of LSD. Mm -hmm. So a few people um, started growing their own and self-testing to see if um, psychedelics might work for their clusters and people started having really great results. Um, So that started us down that path of why is it working? How can we get the word out to other people? Um, Why is it working for some people and not for others? Mm -hmm. So we ended up um, using citizen science to determine the differences for some people, why it might not be working and which ways we could come up with to make it work the best for the most amount of people to start off with. And then make it, you know, each person needs to make some little adjustments as they go. Um, but they're really the best source of information and making those decisions about their treatment because they're the ones that feel the differences and are really aware of what's going on. And can tell whether or not they think that a smaller dose would be better or a bigger dose is needed, um, which medications they need to stop to, to give uh, the psychedelics the best chance of working. Mm-hmm. You know, the, those that um, might not be helping, but they're, they're on them anyways for their cluster headaches, but they're occupying the same um, neuroreceptors in the brain. Right, and yeah, if, competing if for They're that. plugged up with... If they're plugged up with something else, then the psychedelics can't go to those receptors and do their job. So mm-hmm. um, there was a lot of um, self-testing going on and a lot of research going on to see what we needed to do to make it the best treatment for each individual. So how long had you been suffering from clusters by this point? <clears throat> um, for about 20 years at that point. Okay. And... Um, like I said, at that point, I, I had tried 70 different prescription medications. I was spending about $20,000 a year on my health care. Um, 
between the medications and hospital visits and inpatient treatments. Um, since I discovered psychedelics, I, I've never spent enough on healthcare to be able to take it off my income tax anymore. I used to be able to take off my healthcare payments. You know, my medical expenses um, always exceeded the the number that I needed to be able to deduct my expenses. Yeah. And um, since since I found mushrooms, I was no longer able to deduct my expenses because I didn't have enough expenses. So. That's a good problem to have. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It was, it was a very noticeable change, yeah. So was there like a def- – when you – what do I want to say here? Was there like a defined protocol when you first when you first tried them, or was was it kind of like very much experimental for you? It was all very experimental because um, I tried it. You know, there was probably I don't know a half a dozen people or so, maybe a dozen people that had tried it before I tried it. Okay. Um, because I, I ended up waiting until my next cycle started. Mm-hmm. Um, so and people had been doing research and trying to figure out how best to use it. Um, but at that point there was no protocol at all. Okay. And that's something that we, that we built over the years, um, on what the treatment regimen, um, would end up being, you know, working the best for most people, you know, how much time in between doses, how big the dose should be, mm-hmm. um, how many doses you may need, whether or not you should, stop dosing if you've taken enough and you don't need any more and the cycle is going to fade away or if you need you know one more dose um, all those things um, were answered over time you know with the community working together and collecting data on on each each person so So you were waiting for your first for your next cluster to start you were doing this research and did you do it like just before your next cluster started? Did you do it like right after it started? When did you make that decision? No, I made the decision what my cycle had started mm-hmm. and it was the worst cycle that I had ever had. It was just absolutely terrible. I hadn't prepared myself, so I didn't have any mushrooms to treat it with. Um, so I got online and talk to the community and um it's like all right well it's time for me to try it to see if it's going to work for me right um but it it was the worst cycle that i I had ever been in when i tried uh mushrooms for the first time Mm -hmm. and um one day some mushrooms ended up on my front porch (laughs) and um at at that point um we had decided that um, the best treatment was for two, two treatments, um, a fairly low dose, um, about a gram and a half of, of mushrooms. Um, take, take that dose, wait five days and take the second dose, um, which broke the cycle for many, many people. Um, so I took my first dose and within an hour, I, I knew that this was a completely different treatment that I'd tried ever in my life. Yeah, it's, it's something um, else. <laughs> and um, because of what I felt, 
it, it was incredible because my head felt lighter and clearer than it had felt in 20 years. All of the pain, all of the pressure was completely lifted and I could just, I could feel it like draining away and nothing that I had ever tried the previous 20 years felt like that. Even if I would take a shot of Imitrex, my head f still felt like a balloon. You mm -hmm. could still feel the pressure. It would stop the, the sharp pain, but you could still tell and it just that change was an incredible change to be able to stop that pain. Right. But your head still felt medicated and you still, you know, you're still on all these different medications. Mm -hmm. Um, so you never really felt normal. So, um, an hour after taking the mushrooms, my head felt better than it had felt in 20 years. And that release of that pressure is really a telltale sign of, um, being the correct dose. I mean, if it's mm -hmm. going to do that for you, you're pretty spot on with the dose that it's going to take to treat your cluster. And I hadn't felt like that in, like I said, 20 years. So unfortunately that dose wore off and the next day the cluster started. So I immediately took the second half of the mushrooms that I had mm -hmm. <clears throat> completely forgetting what the protocol was. I was right. supposed to wait five days. Mm -hmm. Um, but I took it, you know, 24 hours later and I got that same feeling. And then my head was clear enough thinking, oh, I didn't do that right. It feels good, but I don't think it's going to break the cycle. And it didn't break the cycle. Mm -hmm. So then I had to get, I had to obtain more mushrooms so that I could do it properly and right. follow the regimen that we had been working on. Um, and it took me about a month to get my hands on more mushrooms. Mm-hmm. And finally did and um, was able to take two more doses with that five days in between and it ended the cycle. So how um, long did your cycles typically last at that point? They were, they were lasting three months at that point. Okay. So you like cut two so months off of it then. I, I cut like two months off of the end of it and wow. Um, which was incredible. Um, and then the more ex experimentation that we were doing, we were finding that um, a lot of people were able to have the same results that that young kid in Scotland found was, since we know when our cycles usually start, I mean, if they start September 8th one year, they're going to start, you know, that first week in September forever. So That is like uh, such a bizarre... It, and I bet it that is. even like makes the medical community and other people like in some ways I could see how people like well that, that like make them have even more disbelief right I mean it's, it's like it's, it's well, that, that is like yeah. such a bizarre thing like most there's like yes. no other medical condition I know of that's, that does that you know it, that is r but right that so is, <laughs> right. but it's amazing and, and, at the same time that our bodies can do something right. like that right right. So, you know, most people, their cycles start um, with the change of season. So when your cycle starts in the spring, you know, most people go through several years of being misdiagnosed as having um, allergies and sinus problems and things like that with the mm -hmm. fall and the spring. And because the cycle only lasts, you know, six weeks or a couple of months and then go goes away, people think that, Oh well, we finally you know, the Sudafed finally worked, and right. you know my my um, you know, 
nasal passages are clear now and uh, my allergies are, are over and the mold count has gone down. Um, so we figured out what it was. So then the next cycle starts and you go back on the same treatment and it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So then you'll try other similar, you know, treatments and medications Gosh. and the cycle ends, so you think that you found something else that worked, and it wasn't working at all. Your cycle just changed and mm -hmm. went away on its own. Um, so most people end up going years being misdiagnosed with those sorts of things. Um, dental problems, because the pain does travel down into the jaw and the, mm -hmm. the lower teeth. I've had teeth pulled and root canals done thinking that it was a, a tooth and, and um, I, I've had people that have all of their teeth have been pulled thinking that it's a, a dental problem. Um, and, oh um, my God. you know, um, yeah. So the, the features of clusters really make it difficult to diagnose properly. You know, unfortunately, you know, I can talk to somebody and ask them five questions and know whether or not they have cluster headaches. Mm -hmm. um, but doctors that aren't aware of clusters don't know which questions they ask or which questions need to be asked on a follow-up, depending on whatever right. that answer is, um, to zero in on it. Um, you know, because the first descriptions that you're going to be giving to your doctor fit a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. Um, you know. Like you said, there's like 160 some odd headache disorders out there, right? Yes. And, and then yes. there's other conditions that cause headaches that aren't even Correct. necessarily a headache disorder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, after I, when I was still being misdiagnosed and my, had gone through the dentist and the dentist finally just kind of threw up his hands and said, this has got to be something else. Mm -hmm. He referred me to a chiropractor. And the chiropractor, I went to see him and I explained what was going on. And he was like, oh, yeah, I can I can take care of this for you. Mm -hmm. If I don't cure you after like three visits, then you've probably got a brain tumor. Oh, God. And I'm like, all right, well, let's get started with these treatments then. And yeah. after three treatments, my headaches were worse. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking, all right, well, this guy may know what he's talking about. I guess I've got a brain tumor. That kind of fits. Um, so I went in and demanded to get a, uh, uh, cat scan of my head done. And that doctor came in after I had that done and said, well, I've got really good news. You don't have a brain tumor. There's nothing going on. There's nothing on the scans at all. Mm -hmm. And I was devastated. He thought I was going to be really happy with that news. Yeah. And I was devastated because I had been through four years of hell and I, I really, figured, well, if it's a brain tumor, at least we'll have some kind of a plan and yeah. whether I make it or not, we'll have something to treat and we'll know what it is and let's get at fixing this thing. Yeah, it's, and it's, once again, I had no answers at all. It's so, so frustrating like when you got something going on and all the amazing things that we have medically just leave no answers. Yeah, yeah I've been right. uh, I've been in a similar position of just for years trying to figure out like what the hell is going on. Like why why yeah. can no one tell me why I'm hurting, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So 
very very frustrating but um it's depressing i mean I, and with these i can only imagine the anxiety of like knowing that this is coming and yeah yeah so that yeah. that's racist do do people find that the symptoms of depression and anxiety i mean we know so much now about how uh, like psilocybin for instance is great for those types of conditions right i'm assuming people are finding relief on those aspects of life as well with these treatments right Without a doubt, and we, we see that in the faces of people in our community when they come to our conference that we have every year. And um, one thing we found out really early, we started tracking people that were using psychedelics was um, the people that were, were at a completely different headspace than the people that weren't using psychedelics. Even in those people that weren't using psychedelics that were having success with treatments um, and weren't suffering nearly as bad as they were, you know, whether they were using sumatriptan and oxygen and, and whatever, if they had found, finally found a treatment plan that was working pretty well for them. But there was something different going on um, in people's headspace. And what we found out was that people with clusters, and, and this is common with 50% of people living with chronic pain, is they're also suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah, from the pain you, itself. Yeah. <laughs> from, from the pain or whatever it yeah. was that mm -hmm. caused that chronic pain. Yeah. So what what we found out was that people with cluster headaches are living with just post-traumatic stress disorder from their yeah. cluster headaches. And they were treating that with the psychedelics without even knowing it. Mm -hmm. There was never any talk about post-traumatic stress for cluster headache sufferers before this, um, we had no idea that we were suffering, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and which really caused a lot of suffering in between your cycles. Right. So yeah, yeah, if your cycle ends in the spring and you know you're going to be coming up with another uh, cycle in September, um, it l leads to a very hectic and troublesome and worrisome summer Yeah. trying to get get your life back in order before the next cycle starts um, and living with that and knowing that you're going to be living this way for the rest of your life. Um, so when people find psychedelics, um, they are actually treating, you know, post-traumatic stress that they didn't even know mm. that they were suffering from Yeah. and just doing and doing that with their caregiver, you know, not a eight hour, you know, session with um, a couple of therapists. Um, it was, you know, just that um, four hours that you're on mushrooms sitting there with your wife or your husband or your best friend and mm -hmm. kind of talking and, and working through some of those issues. And um, so, yeah, I mean, people are, were certainly um, treating their mental health at the same time. Um, like I said, um, they are they are nicknamed suicide headaches, and mm -hmm. I've lost a lot of friends over the years, um, and um, a lot of a lot of lives have been saved by psychedelics. Yeah, um, I can count mine the, in there as well. <laughs> yeah, people you know, finding something that worked. Mm -hmm. So um, it's um, so we've done a lot of advocacy work and a lot of education. You know, we've got the um, uh, time for proper diagnosis down to 
less than four years now. When I started Cluster Busters, it was over eight years. Mm-hmm. The average Jesus. waiting time to get properly diagnosed was over eight years. Um, and um, now we're also finding that it used to be really considered a man's condition where mm-hmm. migraine is usually more, much more female. Mm-hmm. Um, clusters was always thought of as about eight or nine to one men over women. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we found out was that that really wasn't true. And the fact was that most of the women with clusters were being misdiagnosed as having migraine. Mm-hmm. Um, just they walk in their doctor's door and start explaining this one-sided head pain. And the doctor just immediately assumes it's migraine. Mm-hmm. Um, the treatments wouldn't be working for them. And they, they would say, you know, do a little research and ask about cluster headaches. And they're basically all told that, no, you can't have clusters. That's a man's disorder. Mm-hmm. Women don't get cluster headaches. They get migraine. So w- women have gone on decades being misdiagnosed as having migraine when they actually have cluster headaches. Right. Um, so that number has come down from like eight or nine to one to about two and a half to one men over women. Um, and who knows, it may end up one-on-one at, at some point. Right, yeah. <laughs> diagnosis gets better, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you talk about this qualitative aspect of when you feel your head lightening. Um, so that that's oh, that, that's a pretty common you, that, that's like the kind of hallmark of you, you found the right dose. Are there other like qualitative right. aspects of the experience? Like, is there anything else people need to do during the experience to make it more effective? Is there like, uh, or is it just like, let the medicine do the work? Well, um, it, it takes a, a little preparation um, and, and everybody is different. Um, set and setting is certainly important. Um <clears throat> People need to be um, confident in that it's it's going to you know e- that even if it doesn't work, it's not going to be a bad experience, and mm-hmm. it's certainly worth trying. I mean, it turns out that the side effects that you're going through on these lower doses is really less than most of the side effects of the medications that we've tried uh, before that. Um, Right. People take an Imitrex injection and they feel like somebody's squeezing their heart and mm-hmm. are afraid to have, you know, heart attacks and um, very high doses of lithium so that they're not thinking straight for years. It's a, a big difference. And mm-hmm. so um, once again, they need to kind of look and see what medications they they're are using which ones they're able to taper off of, which ones they need to stay on and work around um, and just kind of sit back and um, let the medicine do its, do its thing, but just kind of be ready for that. And, um, you know, understand that um, if you start getting cold chills, one minute, don't worry, you know, it's not a problem. And 10 minutes later, you're going to be, so warm you're going to want to take your shirt off whatever so <laughs> yeah, you know, those, you're, you're, yeah that type of stuff yeah. can can ping pong around in the experience yeah yeah so you know we try to let kind of people know ahead of time you know what they're gonna what they may experience and what they may mm-hmm. not experience 
at these doses, they certainly aren't going to be talking to an elephant in a room. <laughs> um, they're, you know, they'll they'll certainly feel that it's there, and you know, they may get to the point where you know they giggle a lot and laugh mm-hmm. at a lot of things that um, you know other people aren't laughing at. And right, why do you think that's funny? <laughs> um, so we kind of just kind of let them know so that they can relax and mm-hmm. and let this happen and um and observe what's happening in their body right kind of learn and be aware of what's going on Mm because that's really important for follow-up doses so that they know whether or not um they think that they might need a little bit more or a little bit less for the next Mm -hmm. dose so um that really helps to be aware um you know sometimes you'll feel old pains it's like Wow, my knee really hurts, and then you'll remember. Well, yeah, twenty years ago, I had an operation on my knee, and yeah. it still hurts a little bit, and I didn't even mm-hmm. realize that. And so you'll feel some old pains and aches and pains and things like that. And um, psilocybin and LSD. I mean, and especially with psilocybin, I feel it really makes you aware of what's going on in your body. And yeah, yeah, I, I agree just, with that. Just that part of the treatment gives you a lot more confidence in being able to help yourself and treat yourself because you you feel like you know a little bit more about why why things are happening and, and what you can do to fix it. So we've talked about psilocybin and, and LSD. Uh, which Are there other psychedelics that seem to be effective for this or are those the two main ones? Those are the two main ones. Um, you know, really early on, uh, when we were doing all of this um, research, um, we were really in number one a, a real strange and touchy situation with talking to the the community and, and you know advising them on on these types of treatments mm-hmm. and things. Well, yeah, back then there was lots of stigma around these things. A lot of stigma, and um, plus, you know, if I'm you know sitting at my house giving you know, talking to somebody on the internet that I don't know, that I've never met before, mm-hmm. that's it, that's 2,000 miles away, that I don't even know if they are who they say they are. Right, yeah, um, or, or the DA. I, <laughs> well, I, I, I wasn't really that worried about that. Um, but one thing that I learned is, you know, when people are trying to find help, um, they aren't always really honest with who they're talking mm-hmm. to. And mm-hmm. so if they hear something of, you know, you really need to stop your antipsychotic medication if um, if you're on it because your doctor gave it to you because he thinks it's going to help your cluster headaches, mm-hmm. or if you really need your antipsychotic medications because you're, you have psychotic tendencies, mm-hmm. Um, the, the people, you know, may not tell you the truth about why they're on something or if right. they're on something because they want this to work for them. They're mm-hmm. so desperate for some kind of relief. Um, so we kind of put all the information out there, you know, whether they're telling us, um, the truth or not about their medical history, um, Here's the information you need to decide um, 
and at least I can give you all of the information. And mm -hmm. we tell all of our people that they really need to discuss this with their doctor. Right. Um, because at least their doctor knows why you're on all those medications. And mm -hmm. even if your doctor won't talk to you about it, you need to, he's going to certainly going to give you some warnings if he knows that, you know, um, whether he thinks it might work for them or not for their clusters. I mean, they're going to tell them, well, you can't do that. You realize that if you do that, you could, you know, this could happen to you because you have this heart condition or you know, mm -hmm. whatever it might be. Um, so, you know, we advise everybody to talk to their doctor and, um, a lot of them are afraid to talk to their doctor. Mm -hmm. um, so what we end up having people do is, you know, print out a, a study showing um, psychedelics work for um, clusters or migraine. Print it out in your next doctor appointment. Just give it to your doctor and say, what do you think about this? You don't even have to say that you're considering doing it. You can just ask their opinion right. on it. And yeah. they can certainly tell you, mm -hmm. you know, they they aren't going to, um, for the most part, recommend that you do that treatment. Yeah, they they can't within the framework of the system. Even if they want to, they can't really. They, correct, mm -hmm. correct. Um, but at least your doctor knows, and at least it brings up the subject, and your doctor is at least hopefully going to give you their opinion on that. Mm -hmm. and, and maybe they'll start looking into, into it, and who knows? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. So. Um, we deal with a lot of headache specialists all around the world. And um, yeah, for the last 25 years, I've been talking to them about treating these conditions with psychedelics right. and a lot more of them are on board than used mm -hmm. to be on board. Um, when I first started this, I couldn't get any of them to return an email. If, yeah. if my email contained the word psilocybin, they wouldn't even respond because they mm -hmm. didn't want their name Yep. on an email discussing it. Yeah. Um, but now we have a lot of doctors, you know, coming to us for information. That's and, excellent. Um, excellent. They, you know, they're, they're in the business of wanting to help people. That's mm -hmm. why they got into this. Yeah, definitely. Business to, to help people. And there aren't a lot of things that help people with clusters. Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, you know, they're out there trying to find something that's going to help their patients. So um, there's a lot more interest these days in psychedelics with all the different pain conditions that are being yeah. looked at with psychedelics. Yeah, definitely. Um, so have we know that MDMA is like likely to be approved next year. Have people right. experimented with MDMA in clusters at all, or does that seem to be a non-starter? Um, a little bit, and um, I sort of neglected to answer your last question. Oh, that's all I right. Got, uh, <laughs> I, I, I got sent off on a tangent, which I, I usually do because after doing this for 25 years, there's a, it's a long, complicated story. But so the reason I started out about um, dealing with the community and talking about these things, mm -hmm. we had we had an idea that DMT might actually be the best possible treatment for clusters because mm -hmm. it's like, and very it's like short pure, acting. It's like a more pure it, form it, of psilocybin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it, it's mm -hmm. like, but th the problem with 
dealing with my community, at least at that point, was I wasn't even sure I wanted to put that possibility out there for people because right. I know how people are about self-experimentation. Mm -hmm. And I've seen it you know, way too much where we recommend, you know, gram and half of mushrooms to somebody and somebody see and that it takes two doses and somebody will read that and they'll go, oh, my cluster, I, I can't live another week. My clusters are worse than anybody else's. Mm -hmm. If I do five grams, maybe I can stop it in one dose instead of right. two or three doses. So people kind of take this information and run with it sometimes without, you know, following, you know, best protocols. And just the thought of putting the idea out there in the ether of, you know, DMT might work really well. Um, most people with clusters that use psychedelics, that's the first time they've ever used psychedelics right, in yeah. treating their clusters. Um, and the thought of somebody using DMT for the first time as their first psychedelic experience yeah. <laughs> in, in the middle of a cluster, a terrible cluster cycle. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just wasn't prepared to get those emails from people that, you know, telling me, you know, their experience with DMT. Um, but people have, you know, evolved to try DMT, the people mm -hmm. that are, you know, have been using psilocybin for 10 or 20 years or whatever, and try a lot of different psychedelics. And DMT actually works incredibly well as an abortive for cluster headaches. I mean, okay. it will end... Uh, your cluster attack within seconds. Well, yeah, it's taking you to another seconds. dimension within seconds. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and you know, it, it doesn't take that much that it, you don't need that much, but mm -hmm. it's really hard to control dosing with the... Oh, MP. yeah. It's... And, and, but it does abort that attack really mm -hmm. quickly. I, honestly, guy, within seconds. The problem is if you have eight attacks a day, can't, need, be, can't you, be smoking DMT eight times a day. You, 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 <laughs> right. You need to do DMT eight times a day because it doesn't have the lasting effects that LSD okay. or psilocybin have. Mm -hmm. And it won't end a cycle. But as an abortive, it works incredibly well. Mm -hmm. But you do eight DMT doses a day and you don't want to do any more the next day. It, you're just <laughs> done, done with it. Um, but people have... People have uh, made their own um, DMT um, um, what are those things that you smoke with the, the vape pen the, things? Uh, vape pens. Mm -hmm. um, they, they were modifying regular vape pens and, uh, with DMT and having that effect and being able to treat that cluster attack. And you know, if you're one of those that um, gets two or three attacks a day, um, you may take that vape pen with you as an emergency mm -hmm. um, because, like I said, it doesn't take that big of a dose that you're talking to um, robots. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, if it uh, if you're at a ball game with your family mm -hmm. and you don't want to go through an hour long attack, you can take out your vape pen and you can abort that one attack mm -hmm. and go on with your life. Um, so people are using DMT as a, as an abortive, um, mm -hmm. not a lot, but there are some that are using it for that. Right. MDMA, um, 
Some people have tried that. It doesn't have the same effects as psilocybin and LSD. Yeah, very different mechanism of action. Very, very different. But some people have had better results. They've improved the results with psilocybin and LSD by candy flipping with MDMA. Mm-hmm. Um, and having better long-term results with their with their treatments. Now, you know, whether that's just because it changes the, the experience or there is something, um, you know, mechanically going on neurologically by adding that. Um, right. We, we haven't done enough research on it. Um, it. It certainly doesn't make it less likely to work to, to break your cluster mm-hmm. cycle if you add MDMA into it. And, um, you know, for a lot of people, it's um, especially people that are anxious about doing you know, yes. a psychedelic dose. Right. That's what uh, I was about to say. Yeah. It, there seems to be something to this uh, idea of if, if you like, or if you tend to have like very difficult psilocybin experiences, seems like MDMA can put you kind of more back to homeostasis. So yes. that you're not so yep. anxious about taking the psilocybin or, or, or right, that right. And, and, like. and that's a big, that's a big part of it for us is, you know, we don't want those people you know, ha- having those anxious feelings. And, um, so yeah, for, for some people it, it is helpful to, to include them as a, a combination dose and, mm-hmm. and does help. So, um, yeah, I imagine that somewhere along the line, there will be some research to, look at the numbers and, and try to figure out some data that uh, proves it one way or another or you know, how it helps and who it right. might be able to help. So the biggest protocol people use, if I'm hearing it right, is around one and a half grams one day, wait five days to another one and a half grams. Like right. what happens if they, if they do decide to do that like big dose? Is that, do they have to like reset and wait to do like start at the beginning and do one and a half grams a few days later? Like, or, or like, or are there bad side effects to doing too much? Um, well, there, there, there can be. Um, this is a treatment that um, more is not necessarily better. Right. Um, you know, one of the things is um, that a lot of people experience is kind of a, a slapback feature where once it wears off, like the f- first day or two after your dose, sometimes the, the attacks can even be a little bit worse, or mm-hmm. you'll have a couple of extra attacks um, <clears throat> until things start settling down. And that's one of the reasons why you need to see that five day break mm-hmm. um, for several reasons. You know, one, because you need your receptors to be clear again. Yeah, you build a tolerance um, to this stuff quickly. Well, yeah, and and that's why they're really not addictive because mm-hmm. you know you do a dose one day, you know the the next day those receptors are still <clears throat> not looking to yeah, <laughs> to be filled again. <laughs> yep. So you know you, your dose on the second day is really pretty much wasted because it mm-hmm. doesn't get into any receptors. Right. <clears throat> But it takes four or five days to see what kind of progress you made from that first dose. Mm-hmm. You got to do some like you real may data not collection. need another. Yeah, you, yeah mm-hmm. you may not even need another dose. I mean, that mm-hmm. one dose may have broken the cycle, and by day five or six or seven, your cycle's done. Mm-hmm. And if you, you know, start taking doses, you know, like every three days, you may never even know that you don't need any more doses. Right. Um, and. Um, but 
<clears throat> so with those larger doses, sometimes the slapbacks are even worse. Okay. Um, and it's not it's not going to give you any better results. Um, it just may shake up things too much, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> and takes a little bit more time to to recover and get back to baseline again. So there certainly is a level that's that's too much, um, and plus those larger doses, it's a lot harder to kind of be aware of what's going on with yeah. yourself physically because you're, you're much more mentally in tune and not as adept at keeping track of um, awareness of your physical self. So, right. Yeah. I, I have a, so with my work, I, I have a similar type of uh, reasoning. So, when I'm working with someone, I don't want to take them into like three, four or five gram doses. I want them like the, where I go is like, I want closed eye visuals, but I don't want anything happening open eye. And I need them like lucid enough to do exercises that I'm guiding them right. through. Right. And yeah, I also find that they're much more, or at least potentially much more in tune with the body at these kind of more moderate doses where, right. it, it, where you still can remember what's happening. That's a big thing, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Nope. Without it, without a doubt. And eventually you just a, kind of become a puddle. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that, that's a, a big thing that um, we're kind of pushing and fighting now is, you know, with all of the work that's being done on the mental health side and mm-hmm. um, with the, um, all the additional sessions and the sessions you need to sit there with two therapists and for eight hours and you need this really big dose and um, all the integration and all of that, <clears throat> that's fine for those you know, people that are needing that right. treatment for, for you know whatever it is that they're dealing it's a with. Different, it's a different thing we're going it's, after here. <laughs> it, it's different. It's different for treating pain. Mm-hmm. Um, people, people with cluster headaches need to be able to take their medicine when they need it because mm-hmm. they're the ones that know when they need it. Yeah. And they're, and they do fine at home with their caregiver. They don't need, you know, their spouse is as, as much of a therapist as they need. That's probably the person they need to talk the most to anyways, because mm-hmm. they've lived together for 20 years and there's a lot of guilt and, and, um, responsibility and you know all those mm-hmm. sorts of things that uh families deal with when somebody has cluster headaches or any chronic pain yeah it puts um, so much stress on relationships the the first episode first uh interview i did on this podcast i did with a relationship expert because i wanted to talk about that so much with how how chronic pain conditions in general affect fam- familiar like yeah, um, not just spousal relationships, but with friends, coworkers, fa- other family members, it, it it can be insidious. Yeah, it's 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 terribly. You know, we did a large survey once, and um, it turned out like thirty percent of our community had gotten a divorce or lost their relationship like that, mm-hmm. be strictly because of their clusters. That it was yeah. that that they put it on clusters and so if you put that at you know 50% of people get divorced anyways if you add 30% that's 80% mm-hmm. is the chance that if you have clusters your your relationship isn't going to survive mm-hmm. um, 
and we always say, um, you know, that makes it always harder. Get, <laughs> yeah, a per, you know, one person doesn't get clusters; the entire family gets clusters, mm -hmm. and it's always a big part of our conferences. You know, when people bring their families and their their spouses, and we have a lot of stuff going on for spouses and caregivers, um, because they they need help and they need somebody to talk to also and um like you know we've talked about chronic pain can be really isolating and people don't talk and um so yeah i mean we have uh, sessions we call safe rooms where mm -hmm. only sufferers are able to come into the room and talk and others where just the caregivers are able to come in and talk and be able to say things that they've never been able to say to anybody for in 20 years. I mean, right. it's, it's difficult. It's like <clears throat> just a simple example would be, you know, somebody with a cluster headache when they're going through it. The first thing people that love you are going to want to do is come up and give you a hug. And mm -hmm. if you're having a cluster headache attack, that's the last thing that you want. You don't want mm -hmm. anybody touching you, let alone seeing you. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and, and that's something that, you know, a family can live with for 20 years without never even discussing or, mm -hmm. you know, the cluster suffer allowing that hug, but hating it, mm -hmm. but Doing to it tell your wife, person. to tell your mm -hmm. wife or your husband that please don't try to comfort me. Mm -hmm. Um, that's not a, com a conversation that anybody wants to have. Yeah, so it drives the other person away. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's things like that, that. Um, never get told, so we let our people get into a room and you know mm -hmm. verbalize that kind of thing. I don't and, that's and very therapeutic and, for people to be able to do something like that. It's 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 uh, incredible what um, um, how some people are just transformed by. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> yeah, very very small things that take place that um, um, at our conferences that people have been waiting twenty years to. Mm -hmm. hear a few words or hear that they're not crazy because they thought this and now I'm in a room of people and they all think the exact same thing. And mm -hmm. um, it can be really life-changing. Just, um, yeah, <clears throat> they may be there for four days, but it might've been one 10 minute conversation that they had that you know, changes their life. So mm -hmm. it's really pretty incredible experience for us. So did you start cluster or did, did well, I guess first did, did, are you the one who started cluster busters or, or did you come into it? Um, yeah. another way. Nope. I'm, I'm the founder of cluster busters. Okay. And, um, and the reason I did that was because of the success that I had had and our community was having with using psychedelics, to treat clusters, mm -hmm. um, and knowing that psychedelics were, schedule one and all research had been really stopped mm -hmm. and there was no other research going on for cluster headaches at that point nothing um i wanted to get research going for psychedelics and cluster headaches um and try to find it you know, i knew it was going to be long and slow process i know it takes right. a long time for this stuff and it was like well if it's going to take 40 years then i better get started so i mm -hmm form cluster busters and went to Harvard and convinced them that they should get involved in psychedelic research again. So when they approved our study, that was the first time that 
they had done any research or proved any research with psychedelics since the day they fired Timothy Leary. <laughs> um, so that, that was a real interesting story of mm -hmm. um, going to Harvard and sitting in one of those rooms with a, um, you know, a dozen giant picture paintings on the wall of um, old white men with white hair, you know, yeah. uh, covering the walls and <laughs> um, <clears throat> convincing them that um, they should dip their foot into the uh, psychedelic pool once again. Right. Um, because that wasn't anything that they wanted anything to do with um, since they had gotten rid of Leary. Um, <clears throat> and we were able to convince them to put their name on it. So it was so a it was, it was a big part of that all this data you guys had from this community or the, yeah. the online communities? <clears throat> yeah, we had collected as much data as we could um, in the different ways that we could with different surveys and um, the personal stories that we went in there with. And um, <clears throat> yep, it was the data that we had collected online um, within our community and that we had really um, come up with a treatment regimen that, that worked. It, it wasn't just, you know, tell people to take psychedelics and it's going to cure their headache condition. It was, right. um, we had refined a treatment plan that was um, um, fairly complex and looked at all the different um, other medications that people needed to stop or start or, you know, so um, we had collected a lot of data that um, was really helpful. What... What kind of challenges have you uh, encountered getting cluster busters going? What <laughs> 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 right, were um, some of the biggest ones, maybe? Yeah, well, um, yeah, there were a lot of um, obstacles. I mean, moving that research forward at Harvard was a lot harder and slower and more expensive than I had thought it was going to be and and um, so we had to do a lot of additional fundraising and um, most people with cluster headaches have a tough time earning a living to begin with right yeah I can imagine um, and um, and people with cluster headaches that have money um, don't want people to know that they have cluster headaches so they mm -hmm. really don't want to put their name on anything because it would affect their careers right um so funding has always been an issue trying to trying to get enough funding to do our work um we had to not only educate people on psychedelics but we had to educate people on cluster headaches so um and that included um doctors and headache specialists even headache specialists spend little time working on cluster headaches or with cluster headache patients is that because um, there's like so few people who, or as a percentage of the population, like what, what percentage of the population suffers from this condition? Well, it's about one in a thousand, um, we it's think. Not, so there's about. It's uncommon, but it's not like. It's not it's, like one in a hundred thousand or one in a million right, type right. thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and um, yeah, it's, it's about double what, um, you know, the FDA approves for, you know, rare disease um, mm -hmm. designation. Um, so there's, yeah, there's about 350,000 people in the US with, with clusters, we think. Um, but there's 40 million with migraine. So most 
doctors mm -hmm. and headache specialists and the research dollars go into migraine. Right. So, so trying to get somebody to um, invest in something with such a small patient pool was difficult. Um, so, you know, once again, we had to um, inform doctors and the, the medical field about cluster headaches and that we're out here and we really need some help. And mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> the other thing about psychedelics and with our capitalistic system and the way we work things in this country is that first of all, I'm going to somebody that I'm, I'm trying to get them to spend a lot of money on research um, on a schedule one drug, mm -hmm. which makes it really, really difficult. The other thing is that with our smaller patient pool, we want to research something that works so well that people may only need one or two pills a year. Mm -hmm. So this isn't something that they're going to be able to, you know, clusters are a lifelong problem, but mm -hmm. it's not something that they're going to get, need a refill every month and get 30 or 60 or 90 pills in their refill every month for the rest of their lives where companies can, can make their money back by mm -hmm. refilling those prescriptions. Right. So big pharma um, isn't interested is what you're saying. So, so big, big pharma is not interested in it. N number mm -hmm. one, although there are some patent fights going on right now, if big pharma can't patent, you know, LSD. Um, mm -hmm. So for them to be able to get their, their money back um, is really difficult. And especially on a smaller patient population and one that works so well. Mm -hmm. So that's been a, a big hurdle for us, um, getting that research done for our community. Um, and <clears throat> we're hard to study because, um, you know, because the clusters come in cycles. So you need to be in cycle to enter a clinical study and then, you know, travel someplace to go into a clinic to be treated. Um, and you have to do all that before your cycle ends on its own. So if you have a six week cycle, you know, you've got to be pre-approved for the study and then call up the study the, the day that your cycle starts and say, okay, I'm in cycle. And it'll be like, all right, well, we need to wait a week to make sure that you're really in cycle and then get here and prep for it and it's a three week long treatment plan mm -hmm. um so you need to take that time off work and and with that job that you've fought so hard to keep yeah these logistics are quickly <clears throat> piling up yeah. into a big problem yeah. yeah it's difficult and then anytime anybody's cycle ends you know whatever treatment that is Doctors don't know if it ended on its own or if it was from the treatment because cycles end on their own. Mm -hmm. So there's always some question as far as how well that new treatment might actually be working or whether mm -hmm. it's um, that it's ending on its own. So there are a lot of issues that need to be overcome for cluster headache studies. So we've been involved in a lot of those and um, the community has um, really come together to help fill different studies and devices mm -hmm. and all kinds of different things that people are trying to find things that work. So how many studies have been performed with psychedelics and cluster headaches to date? Um, well, I don't have a number in my head. I think there's probably about 
five or six that have that are either going on right now or have closed recently. I mean, there's a one in Denmark, there's one in Switzerland. Um, we've done a couple at Yale that are um, waiting for the next round to, to go through. Um, so probably about a half a dozen or so in the, you know, in the last year that they've been okay. um, begun That's or ended or in process, something like that. So there, there's the interest there. and There's movement happening at least. There, some... There is movement happening, yeah. And are these like mostly pilot studies or like phase one, phase two, like where in the process are, are is that happening? All of those. I mean, it, it depends on who it is and um, what it is that they're testing, but some are, um, you know, proof of concept studies, uh, um, schedule or phase one. Um, there are some that are going into phase two. Um, and that's, the big one that needs to be done because then after that a phase three is a very large and very expensive study yeah. um but um we're getting closer to that happening um you know just recently in the last few years um, um new companies are popping up they're seeing ways of maybe making some money in this market so there's um, new companies that are opening up and filing for patents and mm-hmm. spending money on, on research for uh, not just clusters, but, you know, a lot of different treatments um, with, with psychedelics. So there is finally some money coming into research mm-hmm. um, in the psychedelic field. Um, right. Before that, there was very little because people couldn't get their investments back. So. What have what do you think have been some of the biggest successes of Cluster Busters so far? Um, well, we've saved a lot of lives, I think. <laughs> um, and so, on, on a personal basis, I mean, that's um, our community is incredible. How um, people reach out and um, accept people that are coming into the community and, and knowing what they're going through and, and reaching out and mm-hmm. all those personal connections. Um, so um, we've made a lot of people feel not so alone over the years um, and working together. Um, you know, we, we've gotten, um, seems that there's been an increase in research finding new things and we, we've helped um, um, new devices get approved with the FDA. Um, we got, um, for the first time, we, we worked with uh, Eli Lilly, who was the first company that actually paid for, wrote a check for a phase three study for cluster headaches with their uh, CGRP injections, um, which what, got what, approved what, by the FDA. What kind of injections are those? It's a CGRP. It's a calcitonin um, receptor. Um, I can't remember what um, all the okay. words are, <laughs> um, but it, but it's it's a um, a preventive injection um, that's used for. Um, it's a big thing that's really working well for migraine people. Um, mm-hmm. th- there are you know, half a dozen different. Um, treatments out there approved for migraine and 
Lily was the first one that was willing to write that check for a phase three study on cluster headaches in okay. history. We've had one phase three study on cluster headaches in history, which we've been in the books for like 350 years. So, right. um, and we, we work with them on how to get that study um, moved and filled with people and um, worked with them on protocols and things like that. And um, by doing that, what because cluster people are always um, getting hand-me-down medications from migraine, any, anything new migraines, they end up handing them down to see if they work for clusters. Right. Um, in this case, the migraine treatment is a hundred milligram injection mm -hmm. once every 28 days. Um, what Lily found out was that to treat clusters, you need three times as much to be effective. Mm -hmm. So you need 300 milligrams. And they never would have found that out if they didn't do that study. And what was happening before it was approved and what would have happened was doctors would have handed down that migraine treatment of 100 milligrams and it would not have worked. So the cluster patient would have given up on it. And it would have been one more disappointment. Right. Um, but because they did that study, they found out that you needed a higher dose to treat clusters. And um, it doesn't work for everybody, but it works for a significant number of people. Um, and, you know, to me, if it works for 10% of the community, that's 30,000 people that it right. helps. Mm -hmm. And a percentage of those their lives are being saved. Um, mm -hmm. So that was a big one. We got um, CMS Medicare to cover oxygen, which is the number one um, abortive treatment for people. We, we use high flow mm -hmm. oxygen um, for an attack. So rather than an hour long attack, a lot of people are able to end the attack after 10 minutes or 15 mm -hmm. minutes rather than an hour, which is a huge deal. And yeah, um, but Medicare never covered it. Although it was the number one treatment for 50 years for people, Medicare wouldn't cover it because there was never a phase three study proving that it worked. And it was like, well, there is never going to be a phase three study on that. You're requiring something that's never going to happen. It's like, it works, for it, it works for 80% of the people that, that try it. Mm -hmm. if they have the right setup. Um, but nobody's nobody can patent oxygen. Mm -hmm. So nobody's going to pay a $300 million study for to prove that oxygen works. Um, plus, no doctor is going to have, you know, half of the people in the study go on to a placebo because they're yeah. not going to let somebody breathe room air rather than oxygen for two weeks to prove that it's the room air doesn't work because mm -hmm. obviously you haven't sat down and watched somebody go through a cluster attack right. that, that you would want people that have to take a placebo before you approve this for people. So that was a 10 year battle that we were finally able to get CMS of uh, Medicare to approve paying for oxygen for people with cluster headaches. Um, it's just some of the things about our, our, our way our system is set up. It, it's, it's insane. It, like it's, there, there's no, there, there's no other like proper word for it. 
you know, I, I know there is no other word for it. And so, yeah, I've, I've learned that over the last 25 years that, um, there are a lot of hurdles and barriers that, mm -hmm. um, we need to get past that are ridiculous to be there. Mm -hmm. Um, and none of it happens easily. Mm -hmm. It serves, Even if you get, it serves the mega corporations. It serves, right. it doesn't serve the people. Yeah. You know, um, we went to Washington, D.C. for 10 years talking to hundreds and over the years, thousands of uh, congressmen and senators and aides. Um, and every one of them agreed that it should be covered. Every, mm -hmm. Never were we told. Oh, well, you don't have a study for it. I mean, there was never anybody, but none of them would do anything. None of them could mm -hmm. do anything. Right. Yeah, they were like, well, we, we don't like telling other agencies how to operate or how to run their agency. So mm -hmm. um, good luck with Medicare. So. But we That's... finally got them. We finally got them to change it. And... Um, so there have been things like that and um, some wins for the for the community itself, educating doctors on how be to better treat um, cluster headache patients, um, a lot of education on patients so that they can find the best treatments and what does work and what doesn't work. And uh, so a, a lot of education that has happened, mm -hmm. um, a lot more doctors are diagnosing people earlier, which is a huge deal and right. uh, are um, more receptive to, you know, giving that diagnosis you know, when those person is sitting in front of you. So we've had a lot of wins like that. So that's good. And yeah. are ho hoping that psychedelics, we can get a, a more wins for a lot of people in a lot of different mm -hmm. pain conditions. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they're, we're just barely scratching the surface of, of what can be done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, if you had to put like a number on it, when do you think FDA approval for cluster headaches might, huh. might happen? Um, well, it's real hard to tell because I don't know if it's going to be f strictly for cluster headaches and um, you know, with all of these different, Psychod psychedelic um, treatment plans being approved on a state by state basis. Mm -hmm. um, that's going to happen much sooner than getting an FDA approved pill. I promise we'll get back to the interview in just a few seconds. I need to let you know that on August 26, 2023 at 11am Eastern time, you're going to be able to attend a webinar is your chance to ask me anything about psychedelics, about chronic pain, about posture therapy, about the posture delic hypothesis, or anything else you want to ask me. And this is going to be August 26th at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Tickets are only $20. And here's the thing, there's only 20 spots available. I want to make sure that you have enough time, that I have enough time to get to everyone. There's going to be just two hours from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern $20 per ticket, 20 spots available. The links are in the episode description, on my link tree, on my social media channels. So be sure to check it out. And changing um, the Schedule 1 status. And, but at, yeah. at the same time, like if you could get to 
like phase three, like, you know, the gold standard, random, leak assigned, double blind, placebo controlled, which it sounds like there's some ethical problems with doing that with clusters, but yeah, that is like what the FDA needs to reschedule a substance. Like they're, they're or, 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 or what the what yes. the FDA doesn't schedule a substance, but that's what the government needs to reschedule a substance. That's what they need. Mm-hmm. They need an FDA approved um, pill for psychedelics. And, and, like and the, I don't the DEA know, is you know. like legally obliged. Like once they get that, the DEA is like legally obliged to change it within like I think it's like thirty or sixty days or something like that. Yeah, and, but and so but, like, what kind of pushback you, is is there? From, well, make, it, from it, stopping that from happening, you know? be, because you're dealing with the the DEA, and mm-hmm. um, so I, I've been kind of following them for a long time, um, and they really don't like listening to other agencies or no, anybody else on what they mm-hmm. want to do. I mean, I've read some tr- trial transcripts um, with uh, some of the lawsuits as far as trying to get. Um, marijuana grown in different um, jurisdictions and all sorts of different things and approvals for studies um, because the DEA needs to, you know, sign off on a study. They they can't stop a study, but they need to just sign off on it knowing that they know about it. Right. But I read one transcript and there was a guy from DEA and he was like, well, yeah, we have to sign that, but it doesn't say um, how long I have to review it before I sign it. So if I decide mm-hmm. to let it sit on my desk for eight years, I'm going to let it sit there for eight years and there's nothing you can do about it, judge. And I was like, if I was that judge, I'd throw this person in jail for talking to me that way. <laughs> I was like, and that was the DA's response was like, yes, I have to sign it. Then you can't make me mm-hmm. and I'll do it when I want to do it. And it, it's, it's, just, it's crazy for an agency to have that kind of power. Yes. Yeah. It's it, 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 part it's of me crazy. is like super hopeful when I'm looking at what's happening with psychedelics for pain and stuff. The other part of me looks at what, how marijuana is still a schedule one substance. Yes. Given the amazing amount of research that's gone to it. And it's not like a panacea, it, you know, but it, it's like if if we can't even get that rescheduled, like what's going to happen with the psychedelics? Yes, yeah, yeah, I I know I I see a, a long road ahead without major changes in the process, mm-hmm. and when people have power, they don't like giving it up. Um, yep. it's a a long slow fight, and you know MDMA even if it gets approved, it's that's not going to remove any of the other psychedelics mm-hmm. off of schedule one. No, it's and not. The DEA will argue that it's not even a classic psychedelic. So we don't even mm-hmm. want to talk about the other ones. Um, yeah. Like the know, only, the only like legitimate path I, I see forward is these like decriminalization movements like, at, at yep. the state and city levels. Like it's got to yep. come from the bottom up. Like, that's we, what's, that, can't that's wait what's for the top down now. approach. Can't wait for it. Right. Right. <laughs> You're right. And I mean, we're involved in helping write legislation in um, currently six or seven different states 
that are um, writing legislation now um, on um, research and decriminalization. I mean, every state is working on something different, but there are movements on, on legislation. And what we're making sure is when this legislation is written, it's written better than it was when it was written in Oregon. Um, yeah, Oregon's been kind of, of stuff a, in Colorado. a cluster of a different kind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, they didn't listen to the, any of the pain communities. Mm -hmm. um, they never even asked any of the pain communities because um, they're different treatment regimens, different treatment protocols completely. And if you're just approving one protocol that doesn't work for pain patients, and we've got tens of millions of pain patients that need to be helped and taken mm -hmm. into account with this legislation that's written. Yes. And if the legislation doesn't include the words pain or headache disorders, um, they're very specific about what that legislation mm -hmm. will approve. And um, there's going to be a big difference between um, being able to be approved for um, treating post-traumatic stress or major depressive mm -hmm. disorder or some of these other things. Um, if I need to treat my cluster headaches, I, I don't need to make a phone call to a, a trained therapist and set up an appointment for six weeks down the road. Mm -hmm. My cycle will be over by then. I, I right. need to be able to get this treatment that I can do at home or somewhere. I need it now. So we're involved in all of these different state um, um, programs that are mm -hmm. you know, trying to push legislation. Yeah. And that's, that's why where it's going to end up, uh, end up um, uh, giving access to, to pain patients. Um, I'm s yeah, I, I just... I do not favor the, this this organ model at this point. Yeah, you know, at first when I heard about it, I was excited. Now seeing seeing how it's come out, where it's and I understand like we have to falter on the on the step to progress. You know, there, there's yep. got to be these types of things. And so so to a certain extent, I guess I'm kind of happy that this has turned out in a lot of ways so badly. But we can't be at, we can't be expecting people in pain to fork over several thousand dollars every time they need a treatment. Correct. Like that, right. that that that's not an acceptable way to move forward. <laughs> no, it's 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 not. So that's the big thing about what we're doing now is um, fighting all of these fights for access and affordable access. And mm -hmm. um, you know, I with psychedelics. I mean, I keep telling everybody that they're tr right now. They're trying to make psychedelic treatments fit into a broken system. Yep. And they shouldn't be doing that because psychedelics are a completely different type of treatment plan. It completely they, they break different. every box, <laughs> no matter yeah. what box you put yeah. them into, they're going to yeah. break it. <laughs> yeah. So don't, you know, don't make it fit into an already broken system. Mm -hmm. You need to come up with um, new ideas and new treatment protocols and new access. Um, you need to be able to get this treatment cheaply and fairly to everyone and not mm -hmm. just the people that can afford, you know, $5,000 every couple months out of their pocket because their insurance yeah. isn't going to cover it. Mm -hmm. um, so especially when we're but, not talking like the types of doses where you need like 
clinical setting, you know, like, Correct. I don't, I, I, my personal opinion, I don't think a clinical setting is ever strictly needed, but that's, that's my right. opinion. <laughs> yep. I, I, I'm with, I'm with, you'd you have to pay I, me to I, put, take I, me, I've, yeah, you have to yeah, pay me to yeah, take psilocybin I, in a clinic. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, it, um, well, I, I've seen home use work for people for 25 mm-hmm. years mm-hmm. that people did not you know they aren't going into a clinic to get their treatment and these treatments have been working for people for 25 years mm-hmm. so um yeah it's a big deal and one of the things that we're, we're trying to pull together with this um psychedelics and pain association and that we're put, put yes. together so yeah so um i know we're we've probably gone over a little bit on the time we expected. Uh, you guys have a conference coming up next month, right? What can you t- talk yep. briefly about that and how people can uh, learn more where they can learn more about that? Yeah. So our patient conference um, that we have every year, this is our 18th annual cluster buster conference. We're in Orlando this year, um, September 7th to the 10th. Um, they can find that information on our website at clusterbusters.org. Are there um, still tickets available? Still, still tickets available. You can sign up. You can um, register online. You can either pay there or pay at the door. So it doesn't cause anything to sign up and register. And um, yeah, our, our conferences are. Um, we have physicians and healthcare workers and patients giving uh, presentations and um, it's a big deal for a few days for our Mm -hmm. community to get together. And, um, you know, a lot of people that show up for the first time have never met somebody with cluster headaches before in their life. And they walk into a room where there's 200 people Mm -hmm. that know exactly what they've lived through and you don't need to explain to them anything. And they've spent the last 20 or 30 years trying to explain themselves to everyone and nobody could understand. And they walk into a room with 200 people that know exactly what they've been through. Um, right. Kind of a life-changing experience for them um, to find that community. And um, um, yeah, it's the community giving back to itself and, and other people and, and building. So it's quite an event. Uh, yeah, that sounds like a good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I first heard you speak at Psychedelic Science 2023 in, in Denver. I heard you okay. speak again with uh, Court Wings, who I'm, I'm interviewing Court next week. So uh, okay. if you're listening, that's going to be a good one to, to pick up on. Um, well, yeah. Uh, Court, Court is, Court works with Remap Therapeutics, but you guys work together with the Psychedelics and Pain Association. Can you tell people a bit about that? Yeah, it's a court is an incredible person he and um, <laughs> he, he's really, he's something. Um, I'm really looking forward to getting a chance to talk with him next week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, that's going to be, believe me, that's going to be one interesting conversation you have with him. He, he's an incredible guy. Um, so yeah, what um, we started this whole thing of, or, you know, we've been doing this thing about keeping pain as part of the conversation on psychedelic treatments and 
uh, research uh, because it is different than men the mental health aspect. Yeah, mm. and mental health is if, – if you have like a pie chart right now, mental health is taking up probably about 98% of the conversation. Correct. And that's and, that's the mental health stuff is great, but we need to make yeah. this wedge a little bigger. <laughs> Absolutely, and that's what we've been trying to do and kind of demanding – some podium time at these conferences. Mm -hmm. um, and this is something that I've got a lot of experience and frustrations about for the last 25 years. You know, I go to the conferences for um, doctors and headache specialists and 98% of the presentations are about migraine. And I'm mm -hmm. lucky if there's mention, you know, 2% mention of cluster headaches. So right. we r run into the same thing with pain and psychedelics and, um, so we tried to get as much podium time, if at all possible, at these different psychedelic conferences. Yeah, I mean, you guys weren't um, even on like the main event thing at at, at Maps. Well, it was right, it, right. I, and, I I barely even found out about it like the night before the the the, the PPA talk happened. Yeah. It was like in the yeah. different section of the app, and you had to scroll forever. I was like, holy yeah. shit, this is like who I came here to find, right? Here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> So that was a big thing about what we wanted to do was keep reminding them that we're out here and, and they should be mm -hmm. talking to us too. And that's why I started this podcast. Um, yep. <laughs> yeah. So um, we we decided to join forces with the uh, court at Remap and Psychedelics Today, so we could expand our reach a little bit, so we could get more people to cover some of these conferences and try to mm -hmm. get podium time. Um. Because there are so many conferences and there's so many opportunities to be heard, it's difficult for you know cluster busters to be able to afford to get to all of these things, right. even if they'll allow us to, you know, grab the microphone once in a while. Mm -hmm. um, so we think it's really important that all of these discussions and research and movements forward on uh, decriminalization and legalization on psychedelics that they remember that there are tens of millions of chronic pain patients that can also be helped. And um, we don't want people going through the approval process for the mental health disorders um, and approving things and getting things set in stone for, mm -hmm. this is the only safe way to do this treatment um, because there are other people that that treatment is not what we need for chronic pain patients. Right. They and, don't need you know, like, that, you know, two-person therapist, you know, in-clinic setting mm -hmm. um, and all the integration and all of that other stuff. Um, so we don't want them approving things that are going to be harmful to yes. the future of pain patients down the road. And so, it's also important to note that, like, you know, like Devin, Dr. Devin Christie, she talks about how in some of these studies, when they're looking at people with mental health, they do a survey, and sometimes, like, 80% of them are also suffering from chronic pain. And it's right. like, well, maybe if we treat the chronic pain, they won't be so depressed and anxious and, and be suffering from so much PTSD. You know, like, may, maybe we're coming around it from the wrong side of the coin in some aspects, right. right? Like. So, Ab absolutely. Like, absolutely. we might need to take this approach of, hey, let's treat the pain 
to treat the depression, to treat the anxiety, to treat the PTSD. Right. I'm, I'm wondering if that might be a more effective strategy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. We're coming at it from all directions. And, yeah. and that's what we're doing with the new association. We're bringing all of these mm -hmm. great researchers together um, so we have kind of a collective voice on um, pain for pain patients. Mm -hmm. um, and c continue that research and make sure that other things don't make it harder for us to move our research forward. Um, right. So we're real excited about pulling this association together and all the research for different pain conditions that are taking place right now. So um, just trying to um, elevate our voice uh, collectively. Mm -hmm. One more time before we, uh, before we, cut here what's the website and uh, when is the conference okay it's uh, clusterbusters.org and the conference is uh, September 7th to 10th in Orlando and that information is on our website so awesome thank you so much Bob I really appreciate your time today okay. uh, it's been great talking to you <laughs> yep great talking to you John I appreciate um the time and um, yeah, it was great talking to you and have a good time with court next week i'm looking forward to it i'm sure it'll okay. be amazing <laughs> yep it will okay good jen thanks very much for everything